This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Gender Health Justice, a series of Kōrero conversations about gender health inequity in Aotearoa, New Zealand. This is a collaboration between Link Roro and Plains FM to amplify marginalised voices and provoke system change. Ko Fiona Dihan Tokuingua. My name is Fiona Dihan, and I decided to start these conversations because I wanted to learn and understand more myself, use my voice to create spaces where these stories and this korero could be heard by others and create a more inclusive and understanding Aotearoa New Zealand. Kia ora, Erin. Um, welcome. How are you this morning? Kia ora, atamare. I am very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to be here um, and to have this conversation. Um, I'm just going to start by inviting you to introduce yourself to to our listener. Uh, I am based in Queenstown. Uh, I'm a mum of uh, mum of two wonderful, mostly wonderful children. Uh, and I have the immense privilege of being able to work uh, on a vast range of issues that I'm deeply passionate about. And I think that's what brings us to this conversation today. So I'm really excited uh, to jump into it. Nice, nice. Thanks, Erin. Yeah, I, I get you on the um, mostly uh, mostly joyfulness of having two kids um, and juggler and all of those things. But yeah, so thank you for taking the time to being here, to be here. It's it's really important to me and really matters to this conversation. Um, so this this is a, a, a korero, a, a conversation about gender. So I'd like to start by asking, you know, when it comes to gender, um, how do you identify yourself, Erin? In terms of pronouns, I'm she, her. I'm a you know cis heterosexual Pakeha Wahine, um, and am immensely privileged to work uh, with a range of a range of people who identify in a range of ways. And so I think it's um, I, I carry a lot of privilege when it comes to this conversation, and I probably want to start by acknowledging that uh, mm. when we talk about gender and we talk about healthcare, I um, have a have a have a lot of privilege in that space. And so I think it's. Um, it's really important to to come to that com- uh, come to this conversation with that and thinking about how we can uplift uh, the voices of others. And I think that's one of the things we've been really privileged to do uh, in our mahi with the Gender Justice Collective to date. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. Um, and tell me, why did you jo- agree to join me for this korero for this conversation about gender health justice? I mean, who doesn't want to talk about gender, uh, gender and health, and, and all of the issues that uh, intersect between? I mean, that's my dream morning, to be honest. Fee, uh, no, it's, um, this is this is an issue, or this is a, a, a this is a variety uh, of uh, of issues and challenges that uh, we've been talking about for a number of years now, and I think we've been trying to, in a lot of ways, get the conversation going. Um, a lot of the time, these conversations are very siloed, uh, and they they really relate to very personal um, personal issues or, or challenges that that individuals have faced. And so, it's a um, great opportunity to bring that those stories together collectively uh, to look at how we can advocate for systems wide change. So we're 
super excited to join any conversations uh, to say, well, actually, you know, what have we learned uh, from the data, from the research that we've done, and how can we uplift, share, promote the stories of uh, the women, wahine, trans, non-binary and intersex people that have taken the time uh, to share those stories with us? Because I think there's a, there's a huge uh, honour that um, that comes from it and the work that we've done in terms of the trust that people have placed in us to share um, some very traumatic and very scary and sometimes some very uplifting stories as well. There are some good ones. Um, but, mm. you know, so I, I guess from our perspective, this is an amazing opportunity to share some of those voices um, uh, with you. Yeah, that's 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 fantastic to hear because one of the main reasons why I wanted to start this conversation was because Having having had my own personal experiences of the last few years of becoming a mum to two um, and then starting to read about some of the work that you and Jester Justice Collective and and others had been doing in this space, it really showed me that there were issues out there that I just thought were normal. Um, so I'm very much learning in this space myself and I figured, well, if I'm learning about this, then there's going to be a lot more people learning about this and there's also going to be a lot of people that are very unaware of a lot of this. Mm-hmm. So back to the, the purpose of this, Kopapa, the purpose of this work is to amplify marginalised voices and to provoke system change. So um, I feel like it's we're really aligned on that anyway. So that's a really great start. So you mentioned um, you mentioned your organisation, Gender Justice Collective, and, and I mentioned it as well in myself um, about being one of the, the first kind of places where I started to to read and understand a little bit about gender, health and inequity in Aotearoa. And mm. so I'd love you to tell me a bit more about Gender Justice Collective and, and how and why it came to exist. What's the journey? What's the fuck papa? Absolutely. So I think, I mean, the the origin story, so to speak, actually doesn't begin with health at all. Uh, in the lead up to the 2020 general election, uh, uh, a wonderful uh, woman named Angela Meyer decided that what we should really be doing in the lead up uh, to the election was looking at putting an intersectional feminist lens across uh, all political parties' policies that they were putting forward. And uh, so she put the call out uh, to a range of people and organisations from all uh, wonderful walks of life um, across uh, across country and said, who's, in, who's interested in this? And, and let's, you know, get involved. And so what uh, we created was the Gender Justice Collective. So it's a, it's a network um, 25 uh, people and organisations um, from a range of backgrounds. And we went out and we surveyed 3,500 women, wahine, trans, non-binary and intersex people. And we said, what do you need to thrive? What's What barriers are you facing? What's going on for you in your life? And obviously this was July of 2020, right? So this is post-COVID, uh, I say post-COVID, post-COVID sort of round one, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, initial initial impact. It was um, coming into the, you know, into the election. And so what we then, we worked with an amazing team of academics uh, who then helped us basically to take that data and then rank the political party's policies against that. So lots of people create matrices, right, um, when it comes to um, policy. But what we did was actually use the voices of, you know, women uh, in the community to actually shape those rankings. So that was really interesting uh, in itself because that was the largest uh, data set that really existed at that point in time. And, and what we heard uh, from from that uh, group of people and the three and a half thousand uh, people was there was sort of top 10 issues that we boiled it down to. So we completed the matrix uh, around coming up to the election and some political parties did better than others and some were keen to engage with us and some were not. Uh, however, what uh, out of those 
top 10 issues, we kind of heard a couple of key themes. Safety was one, access to childcare was another, uh, family violence uh, was one. So there were some really interesting and um, quite concerning pieces that we heard about what uh, women of Aotearoa needed to feel safe and to thrive in their everyday lives. Um, one of the issues that appeared in that top 10, though, was health. And so within that, 66% of respondents agreed that they could access everything they needed to ensure the health and well-being of their children. But fewer, 55%, agreed that that was, that was the case for their own health and well-being, right? So, so basically half mm. uh, of the survey sample. And that, that those numbers then uh, were more concerning when we actually broke it down further in because we had a, um, a wonderful Māori and Pacifica representation within the survey um, and a really strong uh, turnout in the demographics. I can um, share those with you as well uh, if people are interested. Um, but in terms of the breakdown, we also heard, you know, 49% of Māori wahine, 38% of Pacifica women reported an unmet need for primary care. And that's compared to just 24% of what men were reporting wow. uh, when we compared the data. So what we were hearing, right, is in this situation, um, top 10 issue, healthcare was one. We went and looked at what else was happening, uh, you know, in uh, some of the other data that existed. And it started to put this picture in perspective that there were some really concerning stories out there when it came to healthcare. Uh, and we wanted to take an issue, basically, as the election went, uh, you know, carried on. Um, and, and sort of at the end of 2020, we thought, okay, um, what what's going on when it comes to healthcare? Because this feels like an area that we could, you know, address pretty, I say pretty easily. I will note that we were pretty naive when it, as we obviously started this, um, this, this piece. And so we sort of started to do a bit of an environmental scan and looked at what was happening around the world um, in sort of comparable countries that we rank ourselves against when it comes to healthcare. And we noticed that Australia, Canada, the United Kingdom all have uh, national women's health strategies where they have said we want to prioritise the health of, you know, 52% uh, and as in our case of the population. And so we, as I say, naively maybe, uh, but trotted along to Dr. Aisha Verrill's office, uh, requested a meeting, popped up there and said, we just think actually a National Women's Health Strategy would be a really great place to start because there's clearly some, some very concerning issues that we're identifying. Uh, and actually we think that this would be a, you know, a good place to go. And um, she sort of challenged us to say, okay, well, we need to show that there's actually demand for it. So that's sort of what sparked this whole foray into mm. healthcare. So um, that was the beginning of an 18-month journey, to be honest. Wow, that's incredible, Erin. I mean, hearing so many things in the data that you're sharing um, from the work that you did, you know, around initially just, you know, finding out what was important to women in relation to the election um, and then healthcare emerging as such a major issue. And to think that just over half of women being able to say, half of the women that responded to be able to say that they they were getting what they needed um, for their healthcare needs. I mean, that's that's pretty stunning to hear. And then from a, you know, to, to connect into some of the words you shared earlier, you know, for our listener, you know, around intersectionality and privilege, that recognising that both of us are um, you know, white women, uh, Pakeha women, and that because we were born that way, we have privilege. Um, that's not to mm -hmm. say we don't have tough experiences, but it is acknowledging that because of that, we do have privilege. And then the intersectionality piece of that is that, you know, that while there are challenges for women, there there is tending to be 
um, more challenges for Maori women, for um, Pacifica women, for migrant women and, and the the intersectionality challenges of that. Um, does that does that capture it well? That absolutely captures it perfectly. I think that there are a huge number of challenges across healthcare uh, for for women generally. But when we start to dive into specific areas of healthcare, such as uh, access to maternal healthcare, uh, access to contraception, to menopause support, familial support across the board, we see disproportionately worse outcomes for Maori, Pacifica, migrant women, refugee women. And to give you to give you a sense of that, New Zealand's rate of maternal suicide is seven times that of the United Kingdom, which is concerning enough in itself. But 57% of those who died by suicide in pregnancy or within six weeks after birth are wahine Māori. So we have health outcomes which are disproportionately impacting on our Māori and our Pacifica wahine. Wow. I mean, that those statistics in themselves, they just, you know, they, it's, it's just very hard to kind of... Um, to follow that, you know, because that's pr- that's pretty profound um, to hear, um, and and as as we we talked about before, you know, as as we've been talking about that, so the intersectionality of that, it's not just being a woman; it's also yes, you know, are you a are you Maori woman? Are you Pacifica woman? Are you a refugee woman? Are you a migrant woman? And therefore, potentially, your health outcomes are worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we could. Continue the conversation about um, about maternal healthcare because that's something that is that is relevant for both of us. You know, both having mm. had kids in the last couple of years. Um, however, there is also so many other stages um, of a, a woman's life and um, and the healthcare challenges. And were there other were there other themes or um, specific Things that you that you noticed or that that came out of the research about other stages in women's lives that were particularly interesting. Oh, so many, mm. so many. So I think I think one of the um, that that sort of stage kind of mentality is quite helpful to think about um, about where women can access the healthcare that they need. And so, you know, um, contraception I mentioned before that that was a massive, uh, you know, convoluted area um, for for a lot of women because it's it was you know the rural urban divide for example hugely shapes your access to contraception which is again impacted from an intersectional um, you know uh, intersectional uh, perspective um, you know right through to which DHB you fall within will shape your access to a long-acting reversible contraceptive uh, and whether it's funded or whether it's not how do you navigate that have you had a termination have you not so we have a totally inconsistent approach even when it just comes to getting an IUD um, and so some women in this country are able to access one for free depending on you know where they live and in Auckland if you're uh, you know depending on whereabouts in Auckland you are you might be subject to one of three different DHBs Versus other women who are being charged three hundred and eighty dollars to access an, an IUD because of the you know the costs that are associated. So we have a very inconsistent um, you know postcode lottery mm. is the phrase when it comes to you know just contraception. But of course we know that actually effective contraception is a massive health indicator uh, to be able to support women to live the lives that they want to live. So you know and if and then you know we see this at the other side. Um, when we talk about abortion and terminations because, you know, and actually that being, you know, an area of health 
uh, and, and people's access to that and that being really important. So you see it at that level, but then you also see it, you know, as, um, you know, women who go, you know, maybe, uh, you know, navigate the system a little bit further forward, um, you know, if they do have a birth injury and, and thankfully this week uh, we've just had, um, you know, the ACC legislation around covering birth uh, birth injuries has been debated in the House, which is really exciting. Um, that was a huge area that we heard about in terms of, you know, uh, I think it's two out of three women, you know, um, that were surveyed, you know, had uh, you know, had experienced some physical injury and it was really low rates of those that could actually, you know, get access to healthcare to support that. Right through to um, a slightly older women as well. And we heard a lot about women who just didn't have the financial resources to get the healthcare that they needed. So right from, you know, basically when we're, you know, we first uh, start getting periods through to later in life, regardless of, uh, you know, of who you are, we heard about these challenges to access, but they were particularly uh, exacerbated uh, for those who had, you know, challenges, rural and urban uh, divide, those who, you know, were Māori, Pacifica, migrant, refugee, um, and just those who were in a low-income bracket and, and, you know, battling to get what they needed. So huge concerns across the, across the board when we looked at this. Yeah, wow, um, lots of different factors. It's It's not a simple... As you know, all women, it's 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 the other contributing factors and circumstances within women's lives as well that can influence um, their experience of the healthcare system. And, mm. you know, when e- e- equity, equity or inequity is defined as a lack of justice or fairness and in all of the stories and that you're sharing with me and the statistics you're sharing with me, there's this profound evidence that there is a lack of justice and fairness um, in healthcare, and, and 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 this issue of gender is is one of those reasons. And while we've talked a lot about women, and you, you mentioned earlier that we are being inclusive when you say that, you know there are others, other people that we're talking about here that are impacted um, from a gender perspective and a gender lens. And could you speak a little bit um, to that um, around some of the other experiences that you heard um, in your research? Absolutely. So we um, we actually had a really large uh, number of our respondents in our initial piece of research who were non-binary intersex uh, people, um, and they shared some of their stories with us. And I think probably discrimination within our healthcare services uh, came out very strongly in terms of people, you know, trying to access the care that they needed, um, and and really battling with that. And and in terms of how we make sure that our healthcare services are you know inclusive and welcoming and and support uh, everybody um and that again um you know i've mentioned before where you live shapes a big part of that and so some of the most heartbreaking stories that i personally found were um ones that that people shared with us of you know just where they lived in a small town and how they couldn't access um you know some of the care and support that they needed so i think that's a massive uh theme that came through for us um and, and really has highlighted the need for us kind of to look at this from a systems wide perspective for how we how we support the health of all women, wahine, trans, non-binary and intersex people. Because I think where where we've had this um, very siloed approach has often led to, um, you know, just very kind of ad hoc reactions in, in different places, which is which is not obviously not working for a lot of people. It's very difficult to find a doctor that understands transgender health care and treating a transgender person for unrelated health care and chronic mental illness. I have tried most kinds of therapy over the last 10 years and it doesn't do much for my issues. 
Most doctors don't understand sexual health care for trans men, but I am lucky to have a good GP who does. Swimming as a transgender man who has not had top surgery yet makes me very scared I am going to be harassed. I am not very sociable and it's hard to find other queer and trans people with things in common with me, but not impossible thanks to the internet. I can't afford to live on my own, I can't afford to move house, landlords generally don't want to rent to me because I'm young, jobless and queer looking. You choose 2020 respondent. Why do you think we have this problem, we have these problems in Aotearoa? Why is there such inequity when we talk about gender across um, the healthcare um, experiences that people that people are having? Why? Why do? We, and that may be a personal opinion, or maybe you know more research based. But you know, I'd love to hear what you think. Well, it, it would be remiss of me at this point not to sort of say also one of the things that has enabled us to do the work that we've done over the last couple of years has been working really closely with health professionals. And there are a number of amazing, you know, health professionals out there doing so much with so little. But that's the key piece with so little. And there are, so, you know, we've been privileged to work with a number of, uh, you know, medical professionals who, who do want to see change within the system. And, and, and they've been advising us and helping us. So a huge shout out to them, uh, because actually they are the ones who are, you know, doing this work on top of their you know, uh, day jobs, which is on top of a co- you know COVID recovery, on top of you know, but ninety percent of our healthcare workforce is women. So we're actually also when we talk about this, we're, we're also talking about a, a workforce which is disadvantaged as well. So there's a whole other piece to this around how we actually recognise, um, you know, our health workforce, and that's a separate conversation. But mm-hmm. I think it's a really important one that we should be having as a country. Um, so healthcare inequity within that sense. But so there's a number of amazing providers. Um, unfortunately, there are still some very old and entrenched attitudes. And, you know, there was a, a story um, actually there, which was broke a couple of weeks ago around um, a doctor who uh, who herself was a doctor and she went for um, a smear test and um, she'd actually laid a complaint against the doctor who, who completed it, who was an, who was an elderly uh, or slightly older gentleman. Um, and, and her story was just heartbreaking, but she was a doctor and so she knew what was wrong. And this is one of the key themes that we heard, right? Because this woman as a doctor, as a medical professional herself, was like, oh my goodness, that that experience, that, you know, it was it was horrific, it was invasive, it wasn't, you know, consensual in the way that she felt things should be consensual in, in, a, in a procedure. And so as a educated, uh, privileged woman with a voice able to speak out on this issue, she did and called, you know, called this behaviour to account. But that's one of the challenges that we've got is that oftentimes, and this is what we were so empowering and transformative about this work, Fee, was that you can have conversations with anybody about healthcare because everybody has a story to share. Mm-hmm. But the, the problem is we often share our stories to you know, our friends around the dinner table or you know, we might tell our partner or, or parents or you know, say this, oh, God, I met this awful doctor or you know, this was that. But, but they, these conversations often happen in silos. So we've known for a long time there are challenges within the system um, and sometimes that's you know, resources, scarcity, funding models, et cetera. But we don't, we often talk about them within a specific issues kind of sense or just, oh, well, I had a bad experience and I'll write it off. And we've got to look at joining the dots together, which is what we're trying to do. Mm. Yeah, it's seeming from from what I'm reading and what I'm hearing from, from you as well is that because there's an acknowledgement of, well, we have to acknowledge that as human beings and 
there's a we're we're talking about a range of people: men, women, transgender, non-binary, intersex, um, and and so on. People, a, a range of people that identify in a range of different ways. Um, therefore have a range of different needs and the diversity of those needs would basically our healthcare professionals are often not equipped to deal with mm-hmm. diversity of those needs. It, it, one size fits all does not work. Um, and how do we how do we honour that better? Um, I think um, you you spoke there just about, you know, normal or about a lot of people not raising some of their some of the the negative experiences they had because they thought they were normal and mm. and that was one thing that i i started to notice as i started to read about the work that you and gender justice collective were doing in the last year or two and reading some of the experiences that you were sharing that had been shared with you and thinking oh that's not normal and and having that conversation with other mothers like myself um all have had different experiences and going oh that's not normal oh i, I just thought that was me and and i mm. think yeah that's a big part of it that we're, we've normalized um some of these negative experiences that you just need to accept them oh that's just how it is um rather mm. than actually speaking out about them Mm. And, and I, I totally agree. And I think there's two parts to that as well, right? So I think the first piece to that um, is also a there's, a there's a generational piece to this, which I think is really interesting around the fact that doctors in particular and healthcare professionals are posi- in positions of power and expertise. And, you know, they're the ones who know what they're doing. And I actually found this quite interesting um, walking alongside uh, my mother as she was going through breast cancer treatment. And, and she said to me at one point, she said, well, we just never questioned doctors, you know, like, well, it's just not, we, we never, as mm. growing up, I've never been in a position to, you know, question a doctor. And it wasn't until she was in, you know, a fight for her life that she was like, well, actually, hold on a second, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to ask some questions. Mm. But she said that she, uh, she felt deeply uncomfortable you know, is the fact that she'd actually questioned a doctor and was that inappropriate? I was like, mum, ask the questions. But, you know, so I think there's, we've always grown up um, you know, thinking that we, you know, this is normal, or we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll we'll take that. And so I think, I think that that's actually a really powerful piece when we start to say, well, actually, I am going to question that, and is that right? And I didn't feel good about that experience, and I'm going to share that as well. So I think that's that's one piece. But I also think we need to be looking in a far more patient centric system. And there's been some really interesting work around this done overseas in terms of actually how do we, you know, we train. We train doctors in a certain way. We structure healthcare systems in a certain way. We, you know, we we kind of have this very hierarchical, very um, you know, rigid training system, uh, and we, it's very dog eat dog. And 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 so we we have this system which doesn't actually put patients at the centre. And maybe we need to rethink that as well. So I think it's mm. it's as patients get more educated, but also the system needs to move as well. And I think we need to do there's work to do on both sides in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not it's not an either or. It's a both. Mm. You know, there needs to be change in both um, in how in, in how we approach them and how can we be more curious, whether it is about mm. um, our own experiences and listening to how we feel about those experiences and just being a bit more curious and then being more curious about about the system and about the health healthcare system and and how we train um, the people that we entrust with taking care of us. You know, mm. and who are who are doing their best, you know, as well. Mm. Um, and then probably probably the third part is, uh, is that we sh- oh, I should add to that as well is that also those of us speaking up who have a voice, 
is the, is actually the third piece to that because we know that there are you know there is discrimination there is bias there is you know the system doesn't support you know Māori Pacifica uh, women in particular but actually there's a you know a whole um, piece of research that's been done around you know the um, the bias that you know uh, migrant women face uh, from a maternal health care perspective and you know some really concerning research in that regard so I think a part of what the Gender Justice Collective is looking to do as well is to say how do we you know within the kopapa of our mahi how do we bring people together to actually add uh, you know bring those and uplift those voices because we have the we have the power and the privilege to do so mm. um, so that's probably the third component to that my job is being concerned for young mothers with first babies i think pregnancy and post-birth care is less than when i had my babies 25 or 30 years ago i'm concerned for the parents of today mental health care seems to be an ambulance at the bottom of the cliff rather than ongoing care Affordable, low-key, but helpful counselling is being offered by churches and charities on an ad hoc basis and should be open to all and supplied by the government more. Hashtag you choose 2020 respondent. So just thinking a little bit about, you know, personal experiences, you know, have you had some personal experiences of, I guess, gender inequity within the health system yourself? Yeah, I would. Um, I mean, I caveat this with having spent the past two years reading uh, thousands of, uh, of stories um, from, you know, women, wahine, trans, non-binary people uh, across the country. I'll preface this with the fact that, you know, I'm very privileged to have uh, still had um, a lot of a lot of ability to walk through the system. Um, I've had, you know, access to resources and support. And I think that's, um, you know, that's been been really helpful um, and, and really beneficial. So really acknowledging um, the, that privilege that I carry in that space. But what I would say is that, you know, I've got a five-year-old and a one-year-old and um, my my five-year-old was born um, through, you know, a very complicated emergency caesarean. Uh, and I kind of just at that time, I was 27, I just assumed that that was just how everyone's first uh, birth uh, kind of occurred, and, and you know, and so that was that was sort of fine. I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't question it, but I also didn't know that I could question it, and I think that's quite interesting as well. Um, you know, I'm, as I say, you know, um, educated, well resourced, well supported, uh, you know, young woman, and I still didn't think actually that I had the ability to question the system. And it wasn't until I had my second child, also by emergency cesarean, uh, but it was totally a totally different experience. And I felt, you know, empowered and supported and, you know, had the ability to ask the questions and I, you know, and, and everything. And it was only afterwards that after Florence was born, I thought, oh my God, like, actually, that's thrown into so much perspective how, how the lack of power and the lack of autonomy and the lack of everything that we, we hold, are meant to prioritise in the healthcare system that I had the first time around. Um, and that was just quite interesting. We were also doing this work at the same time, so I guess I was probably a bit more critical about thinking about, you know, what I needed to know and I'm a little bit older and, and you know, probably a little bit stroppier, I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, I could ask ask some more questions. Um, but it was, it was really interesting to me, actually, just in terms of the contrast of those two experiences and thinking about what I know now versus what I know then and actually it shouldn't rely on someone having spent two years researching health systems to have a good experience um, or to be able to ask the right questions that's not that's not realistic and that's not representative of um, of what we should be doing so so that was that was interesting and I think um you know I mentioned before my mum as well going through her breast cancer uh, journey was was really interesting um sort of as that was happening concurrently just looking at uh, both, you know, the um, 
the statistics around cancer. So in terms of, you know, knowing again cancer outcomes and, you know, the fact that Māori women are twice as likely to die from uh, from cancer and in terms of um, from a diagnosis perspective. So their, their mortality rates are um, a lot higher. That's a systematic bias and discrimination and we need to do better in that space. Um, but also just thinking about how we how we treat cancer and how we support women to, you know, to get it, um, you know, for diagnosis through treatment and, and all of those pieces. Um, I, I guess I've, I've thought quite a lot in, from that perspective is that we're very good. Um, and breast cancer is one of the best ones, you know, it's very well publicised, it's very well funded. We have a lot of resources and support, um, you know. So, you know, mum had one of the good ones and it still didn't work out. But then you look at, you know, the likes of ovarian cancer and, you know, there's some amazing work happening in this country because more women in New Zealand die from ovarian cancer each year than they do from the road toll. And yet we haven't had any research funded in this country since 2013. So uh, on ovarian cancer. So, you know, and it, it actually, you know, it kills, I think it's twice, four times as many as um, cervical cancer does. And we still haven't moved in terms of treatment and how we look to it. So, you know, we just had these, um, I said before about how healthcare is often very siloed. And I guess from my experience, what it's highlighted for me is that how siloed the issues uh, are. And so that's kind of where I guess the importance uh, we see our work is, you know, joining, you know, many of those um, amazing initiatives together. So people who are advocating on single single issues. And I think the year that we we, we presented a petition to Parliament in 2021, um, uh, following our meeting with uh, Dr. Beryl, she said, you know, show the support. We presented a petition. And that year we presented a petition. There were 14 other women's health issues presented to parliament in petitions and it's like we all everyone is kind of working so hard in their particular areas um, because you know they're very important and they, they matter desperately they matter but actually we need to be looking at systems-wide change rather than us all voluntarily organizing and trying to get to the steps of parliament we should be reforming you know at a slightly higher level. I guess from the health strategy perspective, that's what we were really trying to do is say, how do we encourage and get the health system to actually recognise this shouldn't require women standing on the steps of parliament saying our lives matter too. Actually, it should be the health system saying, how do we prioritise the population of 52% of Aotearoa? The medical establishment is very patriarchal. Women who suffer pain are dismissed over and over. It's hard to advocate for yourself and be taken seriously. Women are prescribed less effective painkillers and have to wait longer to be seen or given them than men are. If you're a person of color or non-binary in any way, it's significantly worse. Hashtag you choose 2020 respondent. Erin, considering everything we've talked about, about the inequities we've heard about in the health system, the research that has been done um, what actions would you like people to take or consider as a result of this? What would make a difference individually, collectively and on a system level? So maybe starting starting big uh, systems wide uh, to begin with, uh, we this work that we've been doing over the last 18 month, months, which stands on the shoulders of the thousands of stories that people have shared with us, right? This is, um, you know, the the effort and time and trust and um, you know that people have taken to share to share with us has been phenomenal. I, you know, thank you uh, to everyone who has joined this co-papa. What that led to is that the um, the Piota Healthy Futures Bill, which was passed into legislation in June, now includes. Uh, a woman's health strategy. So we have achieved legislative change. And so, um, you know, that's firstly, that is massive uh, because, you know, for a voluntary 
pro bono movement to have have been achieved that is 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 brilliant and it just speaks for the strength of everybody who has joined um this this mahi which has been phenomenal where we go now is obviously there's the challenge of actually formulating the strategy which happens in the context of you know the health um health sector reforms which are underway at the moment so we've got an opportunity to keep up, keep making sure that everyone's voices are being represented and heard um, because there was no budget assigned, but we know that the work is underway and the Gender Justice Collective has been uh, really privileged to start engaging with the Ministry for Women on this work as well. So I guess kind of my my ask on behalf of all of the work and the and the wonderful stories and and content that everyone has shared with us is is to keep doing that uh, because what we need is is women, wahine, trans, non-binary, intersex uh, people's voices uh, that we can continue to advocate uh, to government, to policymakers, to healthcare professionals to say this is what we're hearing and this is what we know to be true on the ground. Um, so that that piece of work is underway and we, we you know we continue to be a watchdog in that space uh, and we'll continue to, to am- amplify the voices um, of those that ch- are shared with us. I guess individually the, the the challenge or the 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 question I would ask or you know issue is to say how can you you know be curious or to ask questions around the experiences that you have both in healthcare but also you know in your day to day life and you know with these other issues that we know are impacting. Uh, you know, people of all genders across this country. But but to say, actually, how did that experience make me feel? Did I feel you know, uplifted? Was it mana enhancing? Uh, or actually, was there something about that? And if you see something else, and that's the other piece, I think, as well. See, you know, I sat, I was in and out of hospital eight times when I was uh, pregnant with Florence, right? It was a, it was the most horrific pregnancy. But I spent a lot of time in hospital, which was helpful for interviewing every healthcare professional I could find. <laughs> but it was also really, um, uh, which, but it was also really helpful to just to understand some of the dynamics at play and starting to ask questions about that and to be, you know, to be ask other people about their experiences. I said before, everyone has a story, but I guess the the challenge or the question is how do we collect those and bring those together? So I would um, love to encourage and ask anyone who is. It was wondering to, you know, to come to us uh, and, you know, and to say, hey, I'd like to be a part of this. I'd like to join the Kaupapa. Um, or to, you know, also even just think about within their own system, if it isn't as, if it isn't an experience that has worked for you, then actually we have a lot of opportunities to complain and to make our voices heard. Um, the Gender Justice Collective was born off, you know, one initial question being asked about the election, uh, putting a feminist lens across it, and it's led to this movement of, you know, thousands of people contributing to, to this mahi. So there is the ability for systems-wide change, which comes from asking a single question, and I would encourage everyone uh, to make sure they're doing that. That's pretty powerful. There is an opportunity for system change in asking a single question, because you never know where it goes. That's 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 a great action to take away. Um so to lean into curiosity and and pay attention to what you're feeling about an experience and and share it with someone else if you're not sure and and reach out to the Gender Justice Collective and we will share all of your details in our show notes anyway to to in our way help amplify the work that you've been doing and amplify some of those stories that have been shared with you so that we can continue to move forward together. However, I'm sure um, through this work you'll have faced some barriers and some criticisms. Um, so I'd love, uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear what have those been, what have what have been those barriers and criticisms you've faced? 
well, we've built, uh, you know, we've built this community from, you know, from scratch a couple of years ago and um, predominantly online has been, you know, the, the tool that we've used, which has been amazing in terms of being able to connect with people from all different walks of life. Uh, probably the most common question I would say that I've been asked is, what about a men's strategy? Where is that? Uh, and we've said, great go and get one if you want one uh you know but but firstly acknowledging that the healthcare system is predominantly designed for you know a middle-aged pakiha man in this country anyway designed by and designed for um so acknowledging that that's kind of the bias which sits within the medical system we know this to be true when we look at medical trials that you know um at, you know how drugs are developed how car seat belts are designed you know we know that we know that um you know there's a lot of implicit bias which it's which exists within our system. Um, but we also know that, you know, Australia has a, has a men's strategy that sits alongside its women's health strategy. And, you know, and that's great. It's not a, um, it's not a zero sum game, I think would be the, 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 the observation I would make. But what we do know is that 52% of the population are missing out when it comes to healthcare. And so, as I mentioned before, the number of single issues that get tirelessly advocated for what we've said is, well, there's a way to do this in a way that connects because if you have endometriosis and are struggling to get contraception and to get diagnosed, that will also probably affect your fertility, which will affect your childbirth experience. Which So we know that these issues are highly interrelated and where we start to look at them holistically, we can do better. And that's why the health strategy actually is, a, is an important piece to this puzzle. Um, but yeah, the criticism has often come through. We've, we've had a great uh, list of encounters um, with uh, keyboard warriors who have, have lots to say on the subject. But I think what's been really powerful is that that um, safety and inclusion within the space that we have created has been um, you know, tantamount to the success. And so to everyone who has uh, you know, taken the time and the energy, because often there's that, you know, we're women, uh, uh, you know, in absolutely inclusively, but we also know we've got, you know, we've got a, a gender pay gap, an ethnic pay gap. We're, you know, juggling a whole lot of caring responsibilities where, you know, there's a whole lot of other pieces to this. We've been disproportionately impacted by COVID. You know, there's a whole lot of pieces here. And so, but everyone who has stood up and, and shared that and actually spoken out against some of the keyboard warriors as well, I just say thank you because that's actually been the power of, um, of this movement and that we want to see that continue to grow. So, um, it's been an interesting experience look at, seeing the strength of that community, and I'm just really humbled by what we've built. You should you should be very proud, you and and the team that you've been working with. You've done some amazing work, some amazing mahi, and and I, for one, personally, um, you really opened my eyes and and have inspired me to to continue learning and to be curious and to be aware of my own bias and and my own privilege. Um, so thank you for that. And, and that's exactly why I wanted to ensure that you and Gender Justice Collective were part of this project, were part of this, this quarter or this conversation. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much. I guess to, to wrap up, um, I'd love to hear finally from you. You know, you've shared your, your kind of professional experience. You've shared some of your personal experience. You know, what makes this work important for you, Erin? Why do you do it? I think it's ultimately it, it's easy to say because you know I want my I want my daughter to have the same healthcare experience as my son. Mm. In in that when she grows up and you know no matter what experiences or healthcare challenges or whatever 
uh, she goes through in her in her life that they they aren't uh, disproportionately impacted um, because you know one's a girl and one's a boy. But actually, I mean that's the easy answer, right? In terms of you know children being a good motivator. But the reality is we were doing a lot of this mahi before um, you know children came along, uh, and I think it's we are just fundamentally motivated to to move the dial on gender equity in this country. We want this to be the best place in the world. Uh, into when it comes to gender equity and inclusiveness, and that you know, that's that's what drives you know all of all of my other mahi as well. Um, but I think when you have the opportunity to look at how you can work with a whole community to shape and design and you know help bring about systems by change, it's an immense privilege. Um, and I know one that you know Tanya Ange and I and the rest of the gender justice collective team hold very very dear. Um, and we're just really committed to making sure we can amplify as many voices as possible um, in this process. Well, I think we can leave it at that. Erin Jackson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to Gender Health Justice. This is one of a series of conversations. Podcasts of the series will be available on the Plains FM website, Spotify and Apple. I want to hear what you think and the questions you have. Copy and paste the link in the podcast description to share what's on your mind through a short survey. If you want more information or you'd like to contact me, do so through the survey too. Please share with your networks so that we can continue to amplify marginalised voices, provoke system change and help us all be more inclusive and understanding of others' experiences. Thank you, Link Roro and Plains FM for supporting this project.